Hey guys, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon today. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. All right. All right. TC, what's going on? Good morning. You doing all right this morning? Yeah. It's a good song, he says. That's debatable, but I like it. Uh, First, before we get started, I want to give a little honor to our lead pastor, Pastor Brad Livingston, who leads our church so well. If you don't know, me and me and Brad go back about 25 years. We met at Dreamland Skate Center when we were 11 or 12, and uh, it's just that was the best time of our life, I think. And we talk about it all the time. So, uh, now, and not just and not just Pastor Brad, but we have an amazing team. You know, John, who's on our staff as our creative director. I've known John uh, probably going on 15 years. Uh, Pastor Rick and his wife Tiffany, who's uh, Tiffany's now on staff with us as our admin director. I've known them uh, 12, 13 years, something like that. So then we have Kyle and uh, and Justin. We have just an amazing team, and it's the honor of my life that we get to do all this together, and it's it's a lot of fun. So we get to, we get to do this. So if you're new to TC, a couple things. There's four things we really care about. One, that, that lost people would be saved, that saved people would be pastored, that pastored people would be equipped, and equipped people would be mobilized. We say it like this, that everyone would know God, not just know who he is, but personally have a relationship with the God of all creation, uh, that you would find freedom Find freedom from your yesterdays, your, your stuff, your past, whatever. That you would discover the purpose God placed you on this earth for. And then use that purpose to make a difference in the lives of other people. That's it. That's what we are about here. That's our, that's our four-step process. Uh, it works. It's beautiful. And we also want you to know that our church is better because you're here in it. Right? When God brings people together to, to uh, galvanize around a certain mission, we're all better because we're all here together. Does anyone feel like, let me ask you this question. Does anyone feel like, I thought the summer was going to be uh, like, uh, like fun and uh, there'll be like cool stuff happening and uh, it was going to be like, ooh, summer, you know, uh, like kids get out of school and I just thought it was going to be a lot of fun. I was looking for some, towards summer, you know, because I feel like, you know, if you're not in the ministry world, I'll let you in on a little secret. So uh, we, we were having a meeting the other day um, planning some events and we got this big family picnic coming up at the end of uh, July, uh, July 20, it's a Saturday, look online, whatever it's there. Um, and, and then uh, Ashley, uh, Brad's wife, was, was there. She's like, you know, in just two months, we're going to be at our big uh, trunk or treat, our big fall f- event we do. And we were like, oh, man, that's creeping up. And I was like, two months from now, it's Christmas. And we were like, holy mo-. And then it's like, well, then, and then after you get done with Christmas in the church world, we're like, ooh, that was fun. And it's like Easter creeps on in. It's like, okay, so I was looking forward to summer. And then summer came, and... If you're like me, I was talking to a community leader recently, and he said, seems like everywhere there's like, there's, there's like job turnover, and people are stressed, and everyone's trying to like do good at work, and be a good husband, be a good dad, be a good mom. You're trying to be a good Christian, and do all the right things at church, and everything just feels like there's a lot going on. How many people in here, your calendar probably looks like mine, full of stuff? That's not how it's supposed to be. So this is what I'm going to invite you to do. Close your eyes. We're going to have a little exercise. It's going to be fun. Hold on to your wallets if you're sitting next to someone that you don't know. <laughs> no, just kidding. Close your eyes. Deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. Let's do one more. And out. Don't you feel better? 
We needed that. We needed a little bit of that. I think as believers, sometimes it is, we, we, it, it, life is so frantic that we even forget what it's all about. Do you have your Bibles? If not, it's going to be on the screen. It's cool. All the Christians brought theirs. That's a bad joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Stupid joke. Um, it's going to be on the screen. We're going to be in the, in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 19. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories uh, in all of, all of the Bible. Uh, there is so much packed into these 10 verses. Um, so we're going to start Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, stop right there. Little context. He is talking about Jesus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to do some amazing things. Where ultimately, that's where he will die on the cross for you and me, that we would have life eternal in him. But it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. Stop right there. Maybe many of you can relate to this, as I can, that when your, your stature is not quite average, like most people, it's hard to see things sometimes. Now, I think 5'7 is the perfect height. God made 5'7 and was like, perfect, walked away. Come on. If you're taller than that, it's just a waste of height. So <laughs> Nobody in here is doing stuff with your height. You're not basketball. Like, you're just tall for no reason. So, anyways, where are we at? Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Now, uh, uh-oh, <laughs> I heard that. Somebody, the Lord's calling So when they saw it and they all grumbled. Now, for the record, we are they, right? We'll come back to that. They all grumbled and said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And the Son of Man, for the Son of Man, came to seek and to save the lost. Pray with me. Lord, we come to you today, God, just to thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us through your word today, Lord, that you would change minds, hearts today, God, that we are open to receive what you have for us and ultimately do in this place what we know only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so there's so much in these 10 verses, but what's interesting to me, what I found uh, as reading this, I found interesting that there's so much that Jesus uh, doesn't know, or I, I should say, because obviously Jesus knows everything, that how much he seemingly doesn't know. He has abandoned all the social norms of society. Now, social norms are something we're all familiar with. Um, when we abide by them, life is good, and when people don't abide by them, things get awkward. I love this because most people don't know how to handle awkward situations, and I like to make situations awkward just to see how people react. I find it funny. Social norms, here's the definition. They are perceived informal, mostly unwritten rules that define acceptable and appropriate actions within a given group or community, thus guiding human behavior. They consist of what we do, what we believe others do, 
what we believe others approve of and expect us to do. Social norms, therefore, are situated at the interplay between behavior, beliefs, and expectations. So I like to think of, norm, uh, of social norms as society's unwritten rules, right? We all know unwritten rules. So I put a poll out the other day on, on my Instagram stories asking, what are some unwritten rules that you're aware of in life? And I had three people that had a version of this, so I put it. Um, when in public, stop talking on speakerphone. Now listen, if that's you, we all hate you. If you're that person on speakerphone, we hate you a lot. Um, Jesus loves you, but that's so irritating. <laughs> I would rather you put the Bluetooth. Remember when Bluetooth came out and you saw people and you thought they're crazy because they're talking to themselves? That was better. So in the speakerphone, can we agree to that? Society has spoken. Okay, good. What about hold the door for the person behind you? So when you're walking into a building and someone's behind you, you open the door. There's no sign that says hold the door open for the person behind you. It's an unwritten rule. We just know it. You hold the door open. What about this? What about your table appetizer allotment? Right? If me and Pastor Rick and Pastor Brad go to lunch and we want to order some mott sticks, you know, some good, you know, when they're fresh and you crack that thing open and that cheese does that thing, you know, we might want to go, so there's three of us there, and it, it comes with six. We each get a third. Now, no one told us that. We just, an unwritten rule, my allotment for that appetizer is a third. And if I eat my allotment and then go for a third, I'm violating the unwritten rule of society and going over my allotment. Can we agree? Even if it's like dip, like you get spinach and artichoke dip, sometimes they come in that like boat looking bowl. You can, like, you don't have to be a scientist to figure out how much is for you and how much is not for you. How about this? When I pull my phone out to show you a picture, you are only supposed to look at that picture. The picture on the left or the right of that is none of your business. You don't swipe left or right. You just look at that picture and you hand the phone back. You get to swiping, we got problems. I might have been in the, you know, putting on the new shirt in the mirror trying to, you know, I don't need you to see all that. I might have had the gym before picture in there. I don't know. Stay away. Don't swipe. Just look and move on. Say compliment and, and move on. Here's a good one. How about the unannounced pop-in, right? You might know it as the, as the, uh, uh, the stop-by. Now, I think this was acceptable until the year 2000 because, like, phone, like, we didn't text as much. Like, back in the day, you know, if someone, when I was a kid, like, if someone rang the doorbell, we were excited. You know, we're sliding up to the door in our socks. We all want to see who's there. And, you know, mom's excited. And, you know, they pulling out, cough. Like, what, we're doing stuff for the people. Now somebody rings the doorbell. What am I? I'm, I'm lights off. I'm down. I'm looking through the blinds. I don't care what you're selling. I don't care what Jesus you're talking about. I know him. Move to the neighbor, like whatever. Um, you know. So, so right, right. So, so what's the remedy to the pop-in? You got to text or call first. But listen, there's even that's got some parameters. Don't call me from the driveway. 
say I'm here. Because you might get a left on red, like I'm not ready for you. Like you're just, you know. So what you got to do, have, have you ever had the friend that's like calls and says, hey, I'm on the way, it was in the neighborhood. We're going to come by. Be there in seven minutes, maybe six. You know, so now it's, you know, you're, you're in military mode in your house now. You're yelling at the kids. You've lost all sense of decency with your offspring. You know, you're, you pick the toys up, get the underwear out of the bathroom. You know, you're putting cereal bowls in closets and, you know, you got, you're shoving stuff where stuff shouldn't be. Then the, the, the friend comes and this is what, you know, you, you open the door and by this time, like, candles are lit. Kenny G music is like playing. Your wife's in an apron. You didn't even know she had an apron, right? Cookies are cooking. Cookies, cooking. She doesn't do any of those. So the friend walks in and they're like, oh my God, look how they got, it's all put together. Everything looks so nice. It smells amazing. She bakes. No, it's a lie. It's all a lie. Why do we do this? Why do we do this even with friends and family? Why do we do this? I mean, maybe you just, you don't want to end up on hoarders, but like, why do we really, why do we really do this? It's like, it's the, it's the human condition on display. And it's one thing to do this with people, but we also do this with God. The God who knows everything about you, the God who knows you better than you know you. Yet it's interesting how busy we stay as believers frantically shoving all of our insecurities, our idiosyncrasies, our, our failures and our shortcomings into every nook and cranny of our soul, hoping that when God looks at me, he says, wow, don't you have it all put together? I want to come to your house today. So back to Zacchaeus. No one likes Zacchaeus, by the way. The, the Israelites, he's no longer a Jew to them. Right? So when we say he's a tax collector, we don't know, in our current context, we don't know what that means. He didn't work for the IRS. Right? This was the guy who was collecting the taxes imposed by the Romans and then inflating that or taking more to make himself rich. Stealing from his own people. He's a gangster. Last year I used this scripture. I think I said this was organized crime. He was like the Tony Soprano of Jerusalem or whatever back in the day. He was a professional cheat. He was an embezzler. But here's Jesus, doesn't get all the, the social norms, and here he is. His popularity has grown immensely at this time. Surely Zacchaeus has heard of this Jesus, and here's he's going to be coming through Jericho, going to be passing through. Jesus is popular now. Everybody's there wanting to get a word, get a nod, get a touch, get a handshake from Jesus, whatever it is. And here he goes again. He doesn't seem to understand our social system. He comes to the little man in the tree and says, you and me, we need to go to your house today. Now, all the people around Jesus are upset. Now, let's be real. I think I would be one of those people. Those people get it. Like, you, you stole my grandmother's retirement, and that's the guy you want to go hang out with? Not the people following Jesus. He wanted to go with the sinner. And these people are upset. But these are the smart people. They get it. They know how this little planet is supposed to work. But not Jesus. He just says, hey, forget, let's forget the noise. Let's go, to your, let's go to your house today. Why? How is that? 
Romans chapter 5 gives us a window into understanding why God does what he does. Romans 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, for the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, that's a ridiculous statement in a really good way, that Christ dies for bad people. We're not going to dissect that. That's just very encouraging as a believer. But look at the next verse, verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. That is it right there. That is how our social system works. That's how we function. If you're good enough, if you're talented enough, if you're pretty enough, someone will do something for you, possibly jump in front of a bullet for you if you're really good. If you're really good, someone might reciprocate your goodness. Or so we think. But I like verse 8. God demonstrates, I like this part, his own love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his own love. Do you know why God does what God does? Because he's God. Seriously, though, a lot of people think the gospel has a little bit of humanism in it. A lot of us think that God looks at humanity and goes, there's potential in you. Little slugger, little chief, my little princess. You're a diamond in the rough. I believe in you. And with a little work and with a little polishing and with a little investment, I can get a return. No. Absolutely not. God demonstrates his own love. This language tells us that God does what God does because God is who he is. He is God all by himself. He doesn't need an associate. He doesn't need reciprocation. He doesn't need a return on the investment. He does what he does because he is who he is. So why does Jesus, who is God incarnate, why does he seek out Zacchaeus? You know what Zach probably thought, right? It's what we think. Look at me. Look at this tree I climbed. Look at this tree I climbed. I got his attention. Everybody else standing around trying to see him. Look at me. I ran ahead. I'm the brilliant one. Climb the tree. He going to see me today. I climbed the tree, and he's impressed. It's what we think, you know. It's what we think. You know how many trees you and I have climbed in our day? Jesus is going to see me today. Did I have a prayer time today? An hour and 28 minutes. Yes, I did. Do I tithe? 27% last year. Not that anyone's counting. That's why I'm blessed. I'm sorry. Did you say what tree did I climb? The biggest, the tallest, the hardest. I climb them all. And that's why I'm blessed. You should see how many scriptures I've memorized. How many people I've led to Jesus. These are the games we play with God. We all play these funny little games because this is how we think it works. Jesus stopped by my tree because I climbed so high. And he stopped and he said, oh, Susan, never in my life have I seen a woman climb like you. Come on. Really? 
We really thank the God of all creation who sits on a throne in the earth as his footstool is, is impressed by our climbing. What's interesting, as Christians, if we're not careful, we begin to encourage each other on the climb. Come on, keep going. Climb a little harder, just a little more. Keep going. You're doing good. Serve more. You hadn't led a group in how many semesters? Come on, do more. How much did you give? Give a little more. Like we, we encourage each other on the climb if we're not careful. Let's go back to the scripture. I like the story, Luke 19. I like in verse 5. It says that when Jesus came to the place, as if the place was preordained by God, as if it didn't matter where you climbed or where you went, Jesus was going to meet you there because he demonstrates his own love. So this is it. It's a simple message, a little summer, nice little summer message. Here, here's what I believe God wanted us to hear because this message was absolutely for myself. Hope to God it, it resonates with someone else. Here's what I believe God wants us to know. So it says he got to the place, he looked up, and he said these two things. Are you ready? He said, come down. Come down. Come down from that tree you've been trying to climb. Come down. I want to come to your house today. Not because of what you've done or what you haven't done or because of who you are or who you aren't. It's because of my love, because of who I am. I want to meet with you today. Come down. For all the Jesus followers in the room, I believe that's what he's asking us to do today. We get so caught up in doing the things that he's asking us to come down, stop climbing. I love two of the songs we did today. Talked about, they used the word striving. I don't remember how it put it in the second song. The third song said, let all the striving cease. This is my victory. It's time for a little rest, time for rest in him. God's word tells us over and over about how it isn't about striving. It's about resting. I will go with you and give you rest. Exodus 33, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Psalm 23, my soul finds rest in God. Psalm 62, he grants sleep to those he loves. Psalm 127, you will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah 6, find rest for your souls. Matthew 11, in me you may have peace. John 16, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. First Peter. For those in the room who aren't followers of Jesus, neither was Zacchaeus. But he was curious. He had heard about this man and was interested. He, he wanted to see what all the talk was about, wanted to get a glimpse of what he heard about. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all his stuff and all his wickedness, all his thuggery the savior that he wasn't even looking for was looking for him met him right where he was called him by name and said come down I'm going to your house today 
and it's funny because he says, I must, like, I must go to your house. It wasn't like he was asking, like, hey, Zach, you think we're going to go to your house today? He's, he told. And, and, and Zacchaeus just obeyed. Now, what's also interesting about this story is we don't know how long they were together. The scripture just goes from kind of one line to the next. We don't know how long Zacchaeus was there at his house with Jesus. There were probably other tax collectors there. Not just the, he went to be with a sinner. The sinner hangs out with sinners. That's what sinners do. They hang out with other sinners. So he gets to his house and he's with the sinners. We don't know how long he was there. But at one point in the night, Zacchaeus stands up and and declares that he's going to right all his wrongs. If I cheated anyone, I'm going to fix it. If I robbed anyone, I'm paying it back fourfold. We don't know how long they were together, but a moment in his presence changed everything. Changed his whole perspective on life. He can do that for you too. The last part of the scripture says, salvation came to the house. Salvation came for Zacchaeus that day. And I believe for some, salvation came for you today. And that's the short, simple summer message for some of us. I believe there's two groups in the room. To the the believer, it is okay to set it all down. Stop the striving. Stop putting on airs. The God of all creation saw you at your worst and called you then. And he's calling us to come down. And and let's do better as believers in encouraging our brothers and sisters to do the same thing. Will you close your eyes and bow heads with me today? Lord, we thank you for just a simple story in your word that seemingly may be insignificant. Lord, I pray for those right now who are followers of you but spend so much time frantically trying to look like they have it all together. Lord, I ask that you would free us from that. Lord, with all of our failures on display, we know we're worthy of love anyway. So as we come down, let us find rest in you. Some of us need it today, Lord. This afternoon, they would find a supernatural rest in you. If you're in the room with eyes still closed, heads bowed, if you're in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not maybe a sage Christian, but you understand where we're coming from, that man, it's tough out there that I need something bigger than myself. Just like Zacchaeus who wasn't looking for a savior, a savior was looking for him. And the reason we gather on days like this as believers is we know that God calls some people. He's drawing them. 
And when you weren't looking for him, he was looking for you. We're going to say a prayer, and this prayer doesn't save you, but it does put language to what God may be doing inside of you. So if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. We're all going to pray together, so you're not praying by yourself. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. I need a Savior. I'm lost without you. I believe that you were born of a virgin, that you walked this earth as a man, sinless. I believe that you died on a cross and that you were crucified, that you were dead and you were buried. I believe three days later, you arose. And, and right now, you're in heaven at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for me. I believe as your word says, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that I am saved. So I will follow you, forgive me of my sins, change me, and I'll follow you forever. In your name I pray, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. For anybody who prayed that prayer for the very first time, go ahead and stand to your feet if you will. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. If you want to connect with us on Instagram or Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. More information about our church or to contact us, feel free to go to mytc.life. MyTC.life is also where you can partner with us financially, and we would love it if you would consider doing just that, as your financial support is a key factor in helping our content channels grow. So I want to invite you to join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. I pray you have a blessed day.